You are listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. My name is Rhonda Blevins. I'm the Clergy Chick. From December 15, 2019, at Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida, the text is Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the Holy Way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Go tell it on the mountain. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever heard that version of the song, but you know the song, right? You've heard the song. But do you know the history of the song? So it's an African spiritual, which means it was born in the cotton fields of the American South by slaves on a plantation. And though I love the song, and the song just emanates joy, doesn't it? What I can't wrap my little brain around is the idea of folks in slavery writing a song filled with such incredible joy like that. I can't, I I don't get it. I don't know how they did it. The only thing I can figure is that the song is a testament to the strength and to the resolve of the human spirit. The song is at once a song of religious proclamation and it is a song of protest. You can shackle my body, but you can't shackle my spirit. 
I will sing of joy. Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ has come. Joy. That's our theme on this third Sunday of Advent when we light the pink candle of joy. The coming of Christ is to bring us joy. The mark of a disciple is a life of joy. This juxtaposition of the slave writing this song of joy is a similar juxtaposition that we find in the scripture text today from Isaiah chapter 35. Did you hear the joy in that text, the hope that the coming of the Messiah would bring all of this joy and all of this gladness and there will be a highway in the desert. There will be waters bursting forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You get the joy there, the hope of the prophet Isaiah. That chapter 35 is set in contrast to chapter 34. And I'll get there in a minute. Scholars aren't sure of the exact setting of when chapter 35 was written by the prophet. They speculate, because of the context in which it's set, that that this is a people that are in a bad way. The Hebrew people. Scholars think that it was set either at a time when Jerusalem was about to come under siege, the nation would be virtually destroyed, or it was set when they came back from exile into the now destroyed Jerusalem. Either way, they believe that, it's to, that the text was written at a time when the people of Israel were in a bad way, yet it's a song of joy. It's a poem of hope. And the reason scholars believe that this is the setting, that it was a time of decimation, of utter ruin for the Hebrew people, is because of what happens in the chapter prior, in chapter 34. And in all my days, I've never heard a single sermon on chapter 34. The revised common lectionary leaves out chapter 34. My guess is you've never heard a sermon on chapter 34 either. Until today, aren't you lucky? I'm going to read you part of what chapter 34 says, and you'll see why you've never heard a sermon on chapter 34. The Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hordes. He has doomed them, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Their land shall be soaked with blood. For the Lord has a day of vengeance. So how do you really feel, Isaiah? What is... <laughs> now you know why you've never heard a sermon on chapter 34. <laughs> now we may not wish for the stench of our enemies' corpses to rise up to heaven. Or maybe you do. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about you and your enemies. Maybe we're not in that bad of a way, but, but we know our share of trouble. 
If you're human here, anybody human, you know your share of trouble, don't you? You see, in this very room, I know of people who are grieving. I know of people who are dealing with a really terrifying diagnosis. I know of people dealing with active addiction. I know of people dealing with estrangement from loved ones. See, I, I know that we are all human, and we all have our stuff, don't we? Stuff. If you're like my family, you have, you, you have enough strained relationships for probably two families, if you're like my extended family. I've got a cousin who likes to joke around that we should cancel Christmas and just hold the holiday of Festivus. Do you know the holiday called Festivus? A Festivus for the rest of us. That's right. Uh, Seinfeld, the old show Seinfeld, brought Festivus to popularity, so to speak. It's, it's, a, it's a joke. Uh, it's the idea where families should come together and eat uh, there's a Festivus pole, just a bare aluminum pole, and there are traditions, and traditions are feats of strength, and this is my favorite, the airing of grievances. <laughs> Festivus for the rest of us. Festivus is born out of the idea that when families come together, there's tension and discord and disharmony, and my extended family, yeah, we, we certainly fit that bill. The human condition. But it's into that brokenness that the Savior comes. If not for the brokenness of the human experience, we wouldn't need a Messiah, would we? And so Isaiah sets these two contrasts, this, this contrast of wanting vengeance upon their enemies and the hope of the Messiah that is to come, sets it in contrast, hoping for the Messiah who will come and redeem the human situation, a Messiah who will come and transform the wasteland to a garden, will transform the weak to the strong, will transform the lame to those who leap, transform the drought into a delta, transform the wilderness into a highway up the mountain. That's what Isaiah hopes for in this passage. What do you hope for? I like the part in the passage where it says that even fools will not go astray on this highway. This gives me hope. Waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and perhaps the most beloved line in this passage, streams in the, in the desert. A few weeks ago, Irene sang a song called, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. That's what this passage is talking about. Even in the wilderness, there will be streams. Even in the desert, a stream will burst Fourth, what is notable here is that the passage doesn't promise that God will remove us from the desert. No. We'll still be in the desert, but there is a way through. There will be streams in that desert. A few times over the past um, two or three weeks, I've been reminded of something I read long ago by a Quaker author named Parker Palmer. 
his little book, Let Your Life Speak. Here's what Parker Palmer wrote. He's talking about when he was a younger man in a vocational quandary or crisis he was in. He says, when I started sharing my vocational quandary, people responded with a traditional Quaker counsel that despite all the good intentions left me even more discouraged. Have faith, they said, and way will open. I have faith, I thought to myself. What I don't have is time to wait for a way to open. I'm approaching middle age at warp speed, and I have yet to find a vocational path that feels right. The only way that's open for me so far is the wrong way. After a few months of deepening frustration, I took my troubles to an older Quaker woman, well known for her thoughtfulness and candor. Ruth, I said, now people keep telling me the way will open. Well, I sit in the silence, I pray, I listen for my calling, but way is not opening. I've been trying to find my vocation for a long time, and I still don't have the foggiest idea of what I'm meant to do. Way may open for other people, but it's sure not opening for me. And Ruth said somberly, Well, in 60-plus years of living, way has never opened in front of me. She paused, and I started sinking into despair. Was this wise woman telling me that the Quaker concept of guidance was a hoax? And then she spoke again, this time with a grin. But a lot of way has closed behind me, and that has had the same guiding effect. Way will close, and way will open. The preachers in the room might corroborate my story that in the preaching life, you, you sit down at the beginning of the week, Sunday afternoon, or if you're like me, Monday, and you study, you begin to study the text for the next Sunday. And so Monday, I sat down with the text, and way didn't open. And Tuesday, I sat down with the text, and way didn't open. By Wednesday, I talked with another preacher friend, and I said, I can't, you know, I don't know what to do with this text. And preacher said, well, usually here I've got a rule. Uh, if the Holy Spirit doesn't speak by Wednesday at noon, she better shut up. <laughs> well, I don't have that kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will speak when the Holy Spirit will speak. And so it was... When I was asleep, Wednesday night or perhaps it was early Thursday morning, I don't know exactly, but in that state between wakefulness and sleepfulness, you know that state. And I had this dream, and it's only one of a handful of occasions where it's happened that I had a lucid dream. You know what a lucid dream is, where, where you realize you're dreaming and, and you can kind of control what happens in the dream. You can make choices and do what you want to do in the dream. And in the dream, I happened upon a great lion. You remember the lion from the text in Isaiah 35, right? You remember that? I came upon a great lion, and at first I was afraid, and I felt my heart beating really fast. You know that automatic response that prepares your body for fight or flight? And then I realized, wait. You're dreaming. You don't have to be afraid. And in the dream, I took a deep breath, and I gently walked toward the lion. 
and he was like a big old kitty cat. And the lion and I turned, and we started walking on a pathway that I can only presume was the highway to Zion. In the dream, way opened. And it was a way beyond fight or flight. It was a third way. It was a third way beyond fear. And I believe that what I was being told in that dream was that way will open for you and for me, that we are not afraid of one another and we are not afraid of those who look or think or act differently than us, that we can approach them beyond fear and walk together on the way that not even fools can miss. So my hope and my prayer for you today is that you can find the way beyond fight or flight, the way beyond fear, that you might walk with all of God's creatures on the way. And as you go, tell it. Tell it on the mountain. Thanks for tuning in to the Clergy Chick Podcast. Until next time, keep on shining.